everyone. Welcome back to Internet Report's Pulse Update, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss what's up, what's down, what's working and not working, and generally keep our finger on the pulse of how the internet is holding up. In this episode, we'll be dissecting disruptions that impact in Microsoft Teams, Azure and Oracle, as well as giving you a roundup of other incidents we've detected over a busy fortnight. I'm Barry Collins, and I'll be hosting today with the amazing Mike Hicks, Principal Solutions Analyst at Thousand Eyes. Don't forget that we release this podcast on all the major podcast platforms, so feel free to give us a follow over at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. We've also noted the chapters in the episode description, so you can skip ahead to the sections that are most interesting to you. And if you haven't already, we'd love you to take a moment to like and subscribe. So... On with the show. And I started by asking Mike about a disruption to Microsoft Teams on January 26th. Even though Teams itself was available, some users experienced issues with functions such as messaging and calling. I asked Mike to explain what had happened here. When we talk about thing being available, what we meant was the front end was available. So if I looked at the network paths coming off the internet, I could actually get to the team servers. And then when some people were trying to access, they, you know, they, they would logged on as normal or they could start through this login process and it did the loading teams. And I say log on, they may have gone through Microsoft 365. So, you know, we're talking one service behind there. So they go through a single authentication, they log on, then they switch to go to teams to load the client in there. And it, it just sits in this waiting stage. It comes there. So what we see from that or what we can deduce from that is that we're looking at something in the back end. Yeah. And if very simply, if we think about sort of our network, you know, I'm connecting from Wi-Fi into my local router, and then we go off across the internet, across the various paths, I then get to the various edge servers. And that's the connectivity which was maintained. That was there. Now when I go into the back end of that, we're still talking about a network, but we're talking about a network that then goes to sort of specific functions. So it might be calling a function, it might be calling multiple functions sort of through an API or whatever. And that was the bit where it was actually sort of uh, degraded or broken. So as I said, so when we say about we can get to it, we can get to effectively the service, but then getting to the actual application itself, it wasn't there. So we kind of call that functionally unavailable. From a user's point of view, these types of failures are often quite confusing because it can seem like a service is there, but bits of it aren't responding. So can that create secondary problems where users repeatedly attempt to access those functions, but they just don't work? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like the old uh, IT teams having turned it off and on again. Bear in mind, like I said, I could get to other Microsoft services. So I could actually get to Word. I could get to these systems. I'm thinking, all right, maybe it's me. So I start to look, so I might turn stuff off. That we actually did see sort of anecdotally some reports where people were reporting it initially as a performance degradation before they came back and said, no, we're having a problem. Mike says that in situations such as this Teams incident, it's crucial that customers have full visibility over their networks and the applications they use. He equates it to a situation he's experienced in Perth. We have, I don't think we've talked about this before, we have a lot of power failures here in Australia. And normally I'll go, oh, okay, it's the main, the main provider. I'll just wait for them to come back online. I'll wait for the utility service to, to restore the power there. But there was on one occasion where we'd actually been struck by lightning and it actually blown out my power board on my premises. So what happened was when the power came back on, obviously my power didn't come back on because I hadn't taken the time to go and sort of troubleshoot that first connectivity. And this is the same thing. If you see the performance degradation, first of all, I think, all right, I can get to everything else, therefore my network's good. So maybe it is a problem within my system itself. But if I can actually understand that service delivery chain and understand what is involved in that, that allows me to make that decision and, and understand what's going on. 
Our second incident this week also involves Microsoft and its Azure cloud services. Here's Mike with an explanation of what happened. Yeah, so this actually occurred before. So this occurred on January 21st. So um, this is where so Microsoft users, they were caught by uh, out by degradation of the, um, the ARM, the Azure Resource Manager. So what um, ARM does is actually a central tool used to deploy, manage, and control the Azure-based resources. Now, what happened here, uh, according to a preliminary incident report from uh, Microsoft, was that there was a configuration change uh, made to an internal Azure tenancy. Uh, and this happened to be one of the tenants that was actually giving a preview of a new feature back in June 2020. So what actually laid there was a latent code defect. So it actually laid, laid there and sat there for, for that period of time. Now, on the January 21st, this config change actually triggered this dormant defect and then this called the ARM nodes to fail on startup. Now, we said ARM is actually doing this management, this control of, of Azure resources. So once we had this, what happened then was it failed on startup. So then the next thing it does, I tried to do an, another startup. And I get this domino effect where I continue to sort of have failing nodes. And then I exhausted the capacity in some of these regions before the issue was actually sort of mitigated. On our recent holiday special, we had talked about the ghosts from the past coming back to haunt network managers. I asked Mike what Microsoft had done to mitigate such problems reoccurring in the future. So yeah, they've, they've taken steps. So what they've actually done then is uh, including disabling this age feature. So if a preview is actually there, it's actually going to sort of time out. So this is going to stop the uh, uh, problem coming across in any single tenancy. Then we're not going to see this sort of cascading problem. But this this concept of sort of you know code lying dormant there is is something sort of it's not that you see often but you do see occasionally so it, it may have been some sort of change or some minor change and this is why it's actually important to understand all these composite parts working together because if we start putting together it might be one little thing that triggers it everything in isolation works beautifully it's all of a sudden I introduce some other condition on top and this is where we start to see incidents like this. Oracle suffered a significant outage on January 16th, and unlike the Teams incident, this one did have 100% packet loss. Mike explains what happened. Yeah, so when we talk about the 100% packet loss, again, yeah, sort of going back to when we were talking about sort of Teams, where that path was. So the the issue appeared to be in the back end. It was in the back end. I mean, uh, Microsoft confirmed that, whereas this one was sort of in the front of it. So that's why we sort of see that 100% packet loss where it comes in. Again, this is coming back to understanding the anatomy of the outage, where that problem is actually occurring. In, in this particular situation, sort of the, the outage, we sort of first saw it, uh, like you say, it was on January 16th. We saw it around um, 1.45 p.m. UTC. Uh, and it sort of centered on Oracle nodes located across various regions there. So 35 minutes after we first saw it, we started to see again this outage condition sort of spread a- a- across there. So the issue seemed to impact like a large number of data centers and sort of downstream services such as NetSuite. There was no sort of official response that came out from, from Oracle. Um, or advisory explanation, but again, sort of we're seeing the problem actually coming into the front end. Although it wasn't officially confirmed, Oracle's downtime did seem to coincide with the release of a security patch. How common is it across the industry to see patches cause problems like those? Yeah, so as you say, there there was no, um, you know, it just happened to sort of coincide around the same time or close to that actual time. So there's no evidence to say these two are related. But to your point, yeah, yeah, quite often you'll sort of see a patch release and it's constantly updating and patching systems around there. And coming back to what we were talking about in one of the previous disruptions there, any small change to one component within that system can sort of have potentially sort of a devastating impact. 
So, you know, it might not be that I might take the, a particular region or particular area down, but it might mean I take some central function down. It may be that I've actually made a patch to, let's say, the authentication system there. And all of a sudden, nobody can authenticate to, to the environment. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's reasonably common. It's just the level it actually causes varies, I guess, as you, as you go between incidents. So if there's a takeaway from incidents such as this, is that network managers should keep a close eye on things after release of a major security patch from software vendors. Yeah, absolutely. Keep an eye on it. Um, and obviously, you know, they, they've released the patch. And it was actually for the users of the customers to actually put their own patch on those. So, yeah, I'm aware it's on. Let's keep an eye on it. What's going on? And, and you know, let's be honest about this. You have to put these patches on. They're released for, for, for a very good reason. So I need to actually put, implement these. And to a degree, I can't necessarily test what's going to happen sort of in production before they roll out. So we might actually schedule it. So we're going to do it out of an hour's time. So we're not going to have such a devastating impact over the weekend from there because we might not know the effects. Even if we do know the effects of it, it's good to actually sort of do it, do it out of hours or later broadcast, we're going to be putting this sort of patch on. And what it is also good for, if I keep an eye on it, is understanding where those dependencies are, right? So let's say it goes on and it does cause a problem all of a sudden and, it, and we can see it impacts other services we didn't know is impacting because it has to be some central function there. Uh, some aggregating point, as we, we often talk about, then all of a sudden I know that's it. And now I can either design around that, or again, I can start to build in processes to, to make sure that if we do have some sort of issue in the future that impacts that, that function, then we know what to do to sort of work around it. Mike's detected so many issues with different providers over the past fortnight that we've decided to add a brief roundup of some of the more interesting incidents that have crossed his radar. We begin with an incident at Project Tracking Surface Jira. Yeah, so users of Atlassian's uh, Jira service um, saw some 503s, which are service unavailables, as well as some other errors around. Now, they actually went on for around three and a half hours. It's on January 18th. And the issues impacted sort of Jira family of services, including Jira work management, Jira software, and the product discovery. We did sort of observe functions and services being unresponsive. So again, going back to our earlier instance we were talking about there, this is indicative of a back-end issue. I, we could get to the service, we just couldn't execute when we were there. Some users of a Sage payroll solution also had problems accessing the service recently. Yeah, so this appeared to prevent sort of Sage customers in South Africa accessing the accounting payroll provider services. It did appear that customers who already logged on could still use the service as expected. So there's no indication this was at an authentication level, i.e. people already logged on, they could do, they could actually get uh, to the system. But the fact if users logged on, the service appeared to be operating normally, indicating that it was a failure at this foundational step, i.e. sort of no specific networks were uh, appeared to coincide with this outage. Again, we're looking at something within the service itself, something within that back-end system. The third and final company now MIDI Roundup is Red Hat, which had multiple issues with its search function. Yeah, Red Hat's an interesting one. So they experienced search-related instances in January, and the most recent of these sort of happened on January 25th. And the reason we sort of mentioned them together, there is nothing necessarily linking them, but the fact we're looking at all the same function that was down, sort of indicative that they might have been doing some sort of work on it. So the outage actually affected multiple subdomains. I said it was on the search function. So if I can't get, if I can't execute on that point, it's going to make it very hard to navigate the site. So finally, we reached a part of the show where we dive into the trends we've seen in worldwide outages by the numbers. If you listened to our first show of the year, you'd know the outage numbers had risen sharply as we left the holiday period at the start of January. Has that trend continued? 
Let's actually go back to the first three weeks of January. And the first three weeks, it rose up. So we see this, this increase. And in the last uh, sort of week, so this last week when we saw it sort of drop down uh, 90%. So in that final week, we saw that sort of drop there. And this is kind of typical for this time of the year. So we come out of that holiday period and we start to see maintenance work taking place, changes taking place. And then we see this sort of slow increase coming up to there. Now, again, if I look at this year over year, again, as I start to come out of January into February, I start to see sort of slight decline. And then we'll sort of see some peaks and troughs as we go through the year. I asked Mike whether the drop-off in the outage figures as we reach the end of January is a reflection of those post-holiday period maintenance jobs coming to an end. Yeah, yes, it is. And it's such a majority. And I say, you know, obviously these outages occur all the time and some of them are sort of failures, but we can actually look and we can tie them down to time of day and then sort of the location as well. So if I'm looking in the face, look at the local time that occurred there and I can see that. And there'll also be, if I look at the pattern of them, they're very clean. <laughs> and what I mean by that is they start on the hour, right? And uh, as opposed to sort of just occurring on sort of, at, at, you know, 25 past or, or, or whatever it happens to be. So that gives us a pattern of their sort of main maintenance, engineering types of work. And then, yeah, absolutely. So we come out the holiday period, we start doing it, and now we've exercised all the work we actually needed to do. We've, we've stored up, as you say. There was one unusual trend in this fortnight's numbers, however. The percentage of US-centric outages was much higher than we typically saw in 2023, with the US accounting for more than half of global outages. I asked Mike if there was a reason for this. Yeah, it's it's actually a, a good point. So when we say the number of high number of outages, if we actually look at the numbers themselves, we saw a similar trend to the global outages. We actually saw this increase across January, then we saw a drop down the last week from there. If I look at the percentage of US-centric outages, these last period, we saw the 52% of them actually were US-centric outages. And what we mean by that is that's where they actually start. So why is it so big? Because if we go back over the previous years, I mean, over since April, we probably looked at sort of an average of 40% sort of right through with a few exceptions here and there. But typically it's that. Now, the year before we go back, we averaged 37% uh, over the time. So why is it increasing? Now, what we're doing, if we should look again, those global numbers actually dropped and the US numbers dropped. So why do we see this 52%? When we saw the outages in the past, when we we're looking at sort of 37%, if we had an outage on a US-centric interface, what tended to happen was those things that we, that we experienced with the ARM stuff, we saw this cascading effect. So we lost a particular interface or work was being done on a particular interface. It then had this cascading effect. And because a lot of the uh, major ISPs are US-based, they had sort of global networks, and then it sort of would, would flow out to other parts of the world. So what would happen would I'd see an outage occur in the US, and that would be reflected in the total numbers as well, because it would then also trigger two or three interfaces, say, in Australia, because how it's actually uh, connected down. So therefore, that's where we're sitting at 37%. But what we're seeing now, like I say, is this is up and around 52%. I expect we'll probably drop around to sort of 45 as, as, as we go through. Um, but if I look at that, they're no longer radiating out as much. So they're more contained. So also if I actually look at the duration, they tend to be sort of shorter duration outages. Again, indicative of some sort of automated failover. So something occurs and we automatically switch that interface out or we, we uh, route around that problem and therefore it's not seen as, a, as an issue there. That's why I think we're sort of seeing this, uh, um, this increase is 52% where normally we're sort of sitting around 40, 45. That's it for this episode of the Pulse Update. Please like and subscribe in your favourite podcast platform to make sure you're the first to know about every new episode that we release. And for more insights on recent trends and some of 2023's most notable outages, check out our Top Outages of 2023 webinar. 
We'll walk you through how these outages unfolded and share tips to help you minimize the impact of future disruptions. It's available on demand now, or if you're in EMEA, we have one more live session coming up. We've included those links for you in the episode description. You can follow us on the X at at Thousand Eyes, and we love to receive your questions or feedback on email at internetreport at thousandeyes.com. Until next time, goodbye.